Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. I do want you to take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 1. As we gather here, we sent one of our deacons to preach over in Jackpot, uh, Nevada, a church over there. and So pray for Rick Buffalo as he's over there engaged in the Word of Truth. And he, uh, if you don't know this about Rick, he's a retired pastor and uh, brings the Word of God faithfully and is very helpful <clears throat> to the ministry here and blessing to my soul. You'll notice the, the title of today's sermon is The Gospel of Mark, The Messiah is Sent. As you can see, we have the communion table set for us. We will engage in that towards the end of our service this morning. But it's only fitting in light of what communion brings that we focus at the subject, the author, the one we remember, and that, of course, being Jesus Christ. Let us begin by reading the three verses that we'll tackle this morning. Starting in verse 1 of Mark 1, it reads, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Let us pray. Father, again, we, we sit underneath submission to the word of God. We marvel as we, we begin expositing this, this great gospel. Mark takes no time but to drive to the plan and the eternal purpose of Christ. And so we are grateful to have our hearts sifted through the word of God. To have our hearts open to its truth and, and understand that, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I ask, Spirit, that you will teach us this morning, that you will draw our hearts with understanding, that you will allow us, even if we've been walking with you for years and years, to, to have our faith afreshed and new with the joy of studying and looking at Jesus Christ. Be with your servant as he desires to honor you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no greater subject than Jesus. Jesus Christ is the sum and substance of our faith, our salvation, our eternity, our present day, our future. Jesus Christ is it. 
There's nothing outside or inside the believer in Christ that isn't absorbed with the deity and centrality of Jesus in our lives. Everything that the Christian is is wrapped up in him. That shouldn't surprise you. It's throughout the scriptures. When you open the book, in the beginning, God, you come through the scriptures all the way to the end that you have this driving purpose and theme, and it's all about Jesus. I think about Ephesians 1, where Paul tells us the storehouse of, of those who are in Christ Jesus. He tells us of this this spiritually rich inheritance we have in Christ Jesus when he says, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons. Through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. I remember when we studied this book. By the way, this was the first book preached to Magic Valley Bible Church all the way back in the year 2000. And I just love this, this, this book because what it does, it tells what the believer has, this, this mystery revealed that is the church. And, and we come to this understanding of these words like lavished. I mean, this is what you do to your wife on, on, on anniversary day. You lavish your wife. You, in other words, you overpour blessings and love, and this is exactly what Christ has done to us. He has lavished his grace, his mercy upon us. What's interesting to me is that all of this was before the foundation of the world. All of this was set in motion before creation was even in, uh, spoken into existence. Jesus Christ is, now get this, beloved, the eternal plan of God to save, to ransom, to deliver sinners. And all this was set up into motion, not when Jesus shows up and says, here I am. No, it was predetermined, foreknown by Yahweh. He had it all figured out that there was only going to be one way, one means. This was the eternal plan of God. So much so, Paul gets this. Um, actually, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, his first sermon after the day of Pentecost, he gets up in front of the people, and he says this. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourself know, this man delivered over by that predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He goes on to say there, you nailed him to the cross. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. That's Peter again in 1 Peter 1. 
where he says this, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope in God. You can't push away from the scriptures without understanding that Jesus is the eternal foreknown plan of God. The eternal plan required Jesus to come and live on earth. And you think about the scriptures, it's not a history book, it's a theology book of God revealing this theological eternal plan that salvation is going to come through him. I like how Paul sums up this eternal plan and purpose of God as he is inserting his wisdom into Timothy, his protege. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher. I mean, this is the same apostle who said in Romans 1.16 that is the gospel who, that saves. It has the only power to save. Beloved, God saved us, called us according to his own purpose, according to his, his kindness of grace, which was given to us as we repented and believed in Jesus Christ, the Savior. But there's a beautiful thing about all this. God has, has now sh not has now shown all of his hands. I come to the Gospels, and we, we marvel at these Gospels, these first three synoptics, and then you have the, the Gospel of John, and, and all they're doing is they're showing all the cards of God. Here's the hand, here's the plan, here's the way. All before this, he spoke the world into existence. All before this, the, the, this plan and purpose of God involved in sending Jesus Christ. It involved a plan whereby men and women could be forgiven of their sins. It required Jesus to come to earth to die on a cross for our sins and be raised from the dead. It included the church to include the redeemed of all ages, both Jews and Gentiles. And it included... Get this, the judgment of all men where eternity based on the plan and purpose of God determines your outcome. All of this was planned before the world even began. Of course, it was revealed gradually. We have the Old Testament littered with prophecies uh, uh, making sure that we understand that when, you, when this guy comes, when, when God comes, that you can 
align the prophecies and say, there's the Messiah. This plan was developed by God and, and unfolds his greatest glory in sending his son. Do you realize that? I mean, we look to the cross and we think about Good Friday often and we think about the crucifixion. We, we, we are humbled that our sin drove him there. But this plan is the glory of God. Yes, sin is the backdrop. Yes, death is the backdrop. But resurrection and life, the glory. I mean, I think about what Mark's going to take us in the midst of this study. He's going to put Jesus on full display with his divinity for us in all the miracles. I pointed out last week there's only, only two teaching sections. Mark really wants you to see and be in awe of the eternal plan of God. He wants you to, to see all that Christ has done and is doing. will show us that there's going to be a finalized act of his arrest, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection and ascension. Beloved, this wasn't a good man who was in the wrong spot at the wrong time. No, this was all planned. That's what's so remarkable. I remember when we studied the Gospel of John, when, when Jesus was arrested, he says, now is the time. And if you think about that, Jesus, he, he often skirted himself away. It seemed that way, but he was divinely in control until it was the time. Jesus Christ, the plan of God. I mean, when we start this gospel, and Mark leaves no doubt that the subject of his gospel is Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ and his role in God's redemptive plan. It's all about that. And as the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus Christ is God's agent for salvation, redemption, and your transformation. He will say that Jesus came to serve you so as to be a ransom for your soul. Listen. There's no other wiggle room to have another way. There's not another way to heaven. There's not another eternal plan out there. There's only one, and every religion, every person submits to the, the authority of the scriptures and this eternal plan of God. There's no wiggle room for a good person in the salvation. Matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This salvation is exclusive and only belongs to Yahweh, the only true and living God. Listen, the Bible is clear on this, especially in the day of tolerance. People want you to, to temper this truth. They want you to, to accept what they, 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 they think is God. They want you to accept their ways. especially when it comes to this salvation. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which has been given among men by which we must be saved. How clear can you get? 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6 says this, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. 
then, of course, John 14, 6, Jesus, in these I am statements, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Listen, we live in a world that, that wants to push against this truth. It wants to lessen your stance. If anything, it wants you to open the door of acceptability that there's something else out there. And often you get in these theological debates, you, you find that, that the reason they want a God a certain way and believe a certain way is because they love their, their sins. They love a God that is going to look the other way when it comes to their sins, but a holy and righteous God will not. Coming to Jesus through faith and repentance is not some sort of fad. It's not some sort of get out of jail free card. It is the only means by which you will be saved. Scripture tells us Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us. And his divine presence is wrapped up in this earthly flesh that he came and humbled himself in. And it fulfills the eternal plan and purpose of God. So no wonder Mark is very focused on who and what he's writing about. He says that it begins, and here's the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which presupposes that if there's a beginning, there's a middle, and then there's also an end. And he begins with, as we will see, Lord willing, in a couple weeks, with John the Baptist. Here's a little bit of trivia for you. Who's the last Old Testament prophet? John the Baptist. He is the one who was going to be the forerunner who proclaimed that there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't know. I, th I think we often look elsewhere to think, Lord, tell me what is your salvation. And we look everywhere but the Scriptures. And yet, they're smart with clarity and purpose and reason pointing to Jesus Christ. The centrality of Jesus in Mark's gospel is so important for us to set up our hearts as we receive this divine word. And why do I say that? It's because too often, we as Christians, we like to, to understand what God has called us to obey. And we should obey, right? We would want to obey the scriptures. But you've got to understand that Mark is, is lifting up high Christ for us. And so our Christology is going to be formed with the reality that this gospel is all about Jesus. And not necessarily, yes, you will grab some application for your soul. Scripture often does that for us. But don't miss the major theme, the major object, the major truth. This is not about the disciples. This is not about the Pharisees and Sadducees or Israel. This is about Jesus. For that matter, it's not even about Satan and his enemies, his demons. It's about Jesus. I'm looking forward to just absorbing Jesus and all his deity and all of his humanity. The gospel is all about Jesus' authoritative presence for us to understand why we should deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Matter of fact, Mark being the first gospel written, you, you, you get this understanding that he transforms. This is the message. This is the truth that which the, the church holds 
which God revealed, what Jesus proclaimed, this good news. And so as we launch ourselves into the gospel of Mark, Mark drives our hearts straight to the, the revealing and beginning of the God's gospel. It begins with Jesus Christ. He wants us to understand first that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Why is that so important? Like I alluded to earlier, because all the Old Testament is pointing to this one. We have to know that Jesus is the Messiah, or else we're of not. We're waiting. We're wanting. But yet all the fulfillment of every messianic prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I've shared this, this stat with you. I'm amazed at the probabilities. I'm not a math guy, but I know when to say, wow. Think about it this with me. The probability of all the prophecies aligning to, to one man, let alone Jesus, are like having the whole state of Texas, which, by the way, when you look at your map, it's not very small, is it? Covered with silver dollars, feet deep. And it would be like me blindfolding Mike and saying, go find that one painted silver dollar that I put down there. All those, the probability of him walking into the state of Texas and picking that up. That's the probability that all this aligns with Jesus Christ. I mean, is God in control or what? And so we're going to see that Jesus is the Messiah. And second, we'll, Lord willing, look at how he confirms this by showing a couple of these prophecies, which are very important because they align themselves with Elijah and John the Baptist. But first, Jesus is the Messiah. Again, in verse 1, look at it. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is loaded with truth. Mark was an eyewitness of so much of God's word, but he also was a companion of Peter. And often he would, he would write these things in comparing notes. We think about Mark and what we'll see as he walked with Christ and how he traveled with Peter, Peter and, and, and ministered and, and understood as they had conversation about Christ. Remember, all this inspired, all of this given by God. God's using his, his tool, his servant, Mark, to, to pen this gospel. And so Mark is no stranger to the things of this inspired truth. And so he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Mark starts right off where the Old Testament left off. Can I say it that way? Think about that. There's roughly 400 years from the ending of Malachi to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. 400 years wandering, wondering, when is God going to move? When is he going to send his Messiah? And of course, he begins... Fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament so that no one would miss who he was, the Messiah, but also the one who is the gospel, the good news, and the eternal plan. Why is this important? Because the Old Testament was proclaiming about one, one like Elijah is coming. 
and he's going to be the forerunner. And he's going to be the one that's going to, to precede the Messiah. And so Mark starts with that connection for us. He's, he's helping us understand that now after 400 years, God is, is doing something. And he did it radically. When we look at John the Baptist and his ministry, I mean, he is a radical sold-out believer in God. So much so that he wore camel's cloths and, and, and he ate honey, locusts, unique. But yet he had a message that was so stinging that even the king trembled. And so he starts out with what we call the last Old Testament prophet that announces the Messiah to the world. This is in harmony with the other gospels. Every gospel has this in it. They begin Jesus' earthly ministry with a forerunner, John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist is baptizing ministry, but it falls short, doesn't it? And he points that out. I come here to call you to repentance. I call you to, to, to look at your sin and turn from them. But there is one who is going to atone for your sins, who will take away your sins. Of course, he's the forerunner, and he understands clearly that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this word gospel is pretty interesting. Just in, in looking at all this, when you think about this word, we know it to be uh, good, good news. We, we, we understand that this is the message. This is the heart of the gospel. And what I found interesting in my study is that, that, that you know, they all understood this. For, for the Romans, it was a, a word to, to announce a king. It was a, a word that was used about glad tidings. For the Jews, the gospel, it was a word that pointed to the restoration of Israel in some near future. We get a sense of this when we just look even at Isaiah 52, verse 7, where it reads, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The gospel. Who announces peace and brings good news of happiness. Who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. And so the Jews had this concept that, that this was going to be God's working. And for, for Mark to bring this out and point this out is so significant for us to understand that he's pointing that this is God moving. Jesus Christ is the answer. Psalm 96.2 says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. And speaking about the coming Messiah, Isaiah in 61.1 says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. And so when Mark's readers hear this, when they heard all these things, even with a Gentile background, they understand that something big is happening. And for them and for us, it comes down to the hand of God moving, bringing his son into the world in order that redemption and triumph of God will be displayed over all the earth, will eventually be an eternal reign of God. And so the word gospel was therefore fitting for, for Jesus to draw on when proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom of God, to proclaim and call people to repentance. For God is bringing his Messiah, and he wants us to, to be reconciled with him, and Jesus is the only means. 
And so when we see the word gospel in Mark's book, we must think in terms that this is the hand of God moving in his creation to bring about the Messiah. By the way, who shows up at Jesus' baptism? I mean, God opens up the, the, the scroll of the clouds, and he speaks. Again, another affirmation that Jesus is the Messiah, the unity, that this is the one. This is, wasn't some kind of scam. This was the divine son of God. Whom we call Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. Now, by the way, when we think about Jesus Christ, that is not his first name and last name, right? Those are our messianic titles. Jesus in the Greek is, is actually from the Hebrew word Yeshua in, in the Hebrew, which is often translated Joshua, and yet its meaning is so significant for us to understand. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. And Christ Christos in the Greek means the anointed one, the promised Messiah. Again, how clear can you get with all markers pointing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? Mark's audience would, would have understood that these two words as the title for the promised king who is going to bring salvation that comes from the line of David, by the way. They would understand that this person that Mark is talking about, who held these titles, was God's answer. He was the one. And if that isn't enough, I mean, how far do we have to just kind of say, okay, I get it, God, I get it, God, but listen, we are rockheads, we need to get it. He gets another title. The Son of God. The Son of God is a title pointing to this Davidic covenant when we think about what's happening with Israel and what God promised David. Remember what David was promised? That out of his lineage will come the one, the Messiah. You can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And then we read a little bit of that, or a lot of it. But look at the screen. It says, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Lord of I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to, to be over my people Israel. I, the Lord speaking here, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise you up, your descendant after you, who will come forth from you. And get this. He says, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will 
It will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house, David, and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. It's remarkable. All this way in the back, that all this was going to happen. God promised that David and his descendants would reign, would come from the lineage, and, and they look for that. We look for, that's why Matthew starts out with that, right? With the gene- genealogy tying those threads together. All of this pointing to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know about you, but the more I study and the more I I walk in this gospel of Jesus Christ, the longer my gospel presentation gets. Why? Because I want you to see this beauty. I want you to see all the ties and how orchestrated it all is and how God is not a miss and that he's not a haphazard God and how he fits everything together according to his divine authoritative word, and it was coming together, and it is fulfilled in Jesus. So Jesus is the Messiah. And if that's not enough, the titles don't convince you. He goes on to verse 2 and 3, and he gives us a couple prophecies. Look at verse 2. It reads, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Mark points to the prophet Isaiah and connects Jesus as the fulfillment of this prophecy. Why? Because John the Baptist is the forerunner. And before the Messiah, he will come. What's interesting in in, in the Greek, there's a a way of of writing, and, and God is so... Awesome in, in bringing this to us. But as you dig this out, when he, when he talks about Isaiah here, as it is written, it's a comparative adverb. What does that mean? He's connecting the dots. He's saying, as it is written in the book of Isaiah, it is comparing itself, connecting itself all the way with John the Baptist. This is the connection that we have to see. He is saying, just as it was written through the prophet Isaiah, the prophecy is connected to the person of Jesus Christ through the way of a forerunner named John the Baptist. I mean, this is remarkable to think about all this. To think that this book was written by just a bunch of men. Listen, this is divine orchestrated, divine inspired, divinely inerrant. All this connecting itself. And so when we think about Isaiah chapter 40, we can throw that up on the screen. Look at that. It says, Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. I mean, Isaiah is giving hope to the Israelites. He's giving them understanding that God is their God and he has everything in control. And then he points to this voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord, clear way for the Messiah. 
in the wilderness. Which there's a lot of connections that we'll bring up in a couple weeks. I mean, you think about where John the Baptist is. He's in the wilderness. Connection with Elijah, the prophet? Absolutely, in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord. In the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. And then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and, and it's all loveliness is like a, a, the, the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. I mean, you talk about the assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. This was not only planned eternally in the past, presented in in the context of the time period in which he comes, but is even secured for us in the future. Isaiah promised a better day where they would be free. The context of Isaiah 40 is that they're under Babylonian captivity. He's giving them hope, helping them understand the promises of the Lord. The Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, and every Israelite would understood this, would understood this, chapter, not that they had chapters back then, but for us, Isaiah chapter 40 for them, they would understand that God is going to reveal his glory and he's going to restore Israel and he's going to put himself and send him a shepherd who will shepherd the flock. In other words, that their exile days would end. Matter of fact, if you were to look and study, you, you find the last prophecy of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. It's all about the kingdom of God breaking through into God's creation. By the way, you can write this down. You can look it up later. Malachi 4, verses 1 through 6, is that last prophetic word. It's there on your screen, isn't it? Did I put that one in there? Don't write it down. Look to the screen. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, in the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that it will not come and smite the land with a curse. Malachi ends 400 years, then comes the forerunner. Then comes Jesus, 
Malachi is saying there's coming a day where God's enemy will be destroyed and God's people will have their hearts turned back to the Lord. There will be a day of healing. There will be a day of rejoicing. And he gives them a clear sign that there's going to become one. Look to him. Look to him. That is going to be his next, next move. And they did. They waited. They, they, they taught diligently the Old Testament to help them understand. Wait patiently upon the Lord. 400 years, that's, that's waiting patiently, at least in our terms, right? I mean, the connection of the Old Testament to the New Testament. Then we get to verse 3 of Mark chapter 1. The Jews anticipated an Elijah-type figure, and Mark makes that connection for us. He says in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Isaiah chapter 40, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. I mean, often I think when we read the Gospels, we come from our Gentile current-day mind, and, and yet there's so much richness coming out of this that the Jew would say, aha, God is doing his thing. We better take note. I mean, when we look at John the Baptist, it's hard not to mention him in looking at this. I mean, he was a powerful preacher who was drawing massive crowds, not in the city streets, but outside in the wilderness, right? They came to him. He sounded like Elijah. He dressed like Elijah. He preached like Elijah. Why? Because he was the forerunner. He was preparing the way of the Lord. He was preparing the people's hearts for the message of Christ. You think about that. In a day and age where, where kings and governments do not tremble at the voice of the Lord, I mean, when John the Baptist was there, the king trembled. He wanted to sweep them underneath the rug. He called out his sins. The authority of God behind his truth comes out in this forerunner. And it's remarkable. I mean, you think about what John preaches and what he says and what he does. And, and like I say, I'll, I'll wait for, for that in a couple weeks. But I, the more and more I look at this, how awesome our God is. I mean, it's just remarkable. The message of John that we already uh, looked at is repentance. Jesus will come with, with the idea of repentance and belief. We understand repentance, don't we? It means turning from our sins. It's agreeing with God about our sins and confessing them. And then Jesus says, believe. Believe in me, the Lamb of God, who takes away your sins. I mean, this is plan A. There never was a plan B. And then you tie that with the church and, and what we're going to, to do here shortly with communion. Two ordinances that, that God gives the church, baptism, symbolic of faith and repentance in Christ, and communion.
to remember the salvific power in Christ Jesus. Throwing a lot of truth at you. I'd be a fool not to say and call you to believe in it, right? The question is, do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? I mean, God has shown his hand. This is the only way that you will be saved. This is the only way you will receive forgiveness. Drugs can't hide it. Being good can't hide it. Worshiping a a plethora of gods cannot hide it. The only way to receive forgiveness and reconciliation to a holy God who is holy is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, what a, what a marvelous truth. I mean, it, it just sets our, our hearts up. And, and I want to encourage you to, to, to just be all in you know, Christ. When we think about his work on the cross, we here at Magic Valley Bible Church, we believe in open communion. If you have repented and believe in Jesus Christ, we want you to participate. However, there's two exceptions. One is, if you don't know one, this is just grape juice and bread. If you don't know Christ, we would, would kindly ask you just to allow the elements to pass you by. The reality of it is it doesn't mean anything to you. I don't mean that in a flippant way. However, for the believer, the elements symbolize the blood that was spilt, the body that was given. As we reflect on Jesus Christ as being the way, the truth, and the life. The other caution to not take communion is that if you're going to do it in an unworthy manner, if your heart's not right, it's better for you to get right and leave the elements and then come back together when you are right. Why? Because this is about unity. I'm going to ask the men to come, worship team to come. As they are coming, let us, let us bow in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for the joy of just jump-starting our hearts into this gospel. We marvel at the hand of God moving. We, we see all the pieces being put together. One would be a fool to miss it. Of course, it's only by your grace that we are illumined to this truth. We, we see you working in our souls. You, you, you draw us to this truth. And we rejoice over it. Why? Because the sinner can be forgiven. Knowing that grace is applied to the one who calls out to the one who saves. And so, Jesus, we, we love you. We, we worship you. We recognize the divine authority to be Lord of our lives. We submit to that. We thank you for the, the ordinance of communion, the, the Lord's table where we can come and gather and we can assemble 
with this resounding truth that Jesus Christ, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through you. It brings unity of heart, unity of the body. And so we thank you for all the truth that has been revealed, given to us to rightly believe and understand about you, God, and about the Godhead. So Jesus, we thank you. We recognize your forgiving hand, that your mercy is more than any sin that I have committed. And so we come to worship you, desiring to exalt the name that is above every other name, the name Jesus Christ. So prepare our hearts as we receive these elements in light of the truth that it symbolizes. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.